Welcome to episode 6 of the County Derry Post-Political Podcast. This week we talked to DUP Group Leader on Cosby Coast and Glens Borough Council, Aaron Callan, about his family's history of service, switching allegiance to the UUP and the paradoxes of history. Could you tell me why you got involved in politics in the first place? My family's always been a family of service. Um, my grandfather served 35 years in the fire service and uh, I've had various cousins and family members who served in RUC, uh, the Army and other places as well. So we've always been a family that have thought about service and what we could give back to the community. I, I was never going to join the Army or do anything like that. So, uh, you know, the best way I could say I could give service was through politics and giving back to the community. And I know Lamafari, when I was growing up, I'm very proud of being from Lamafari. I'm very passionate about the area and I like the be part of the solutions and hopefully bring some good to the, the area. It's always a challenge, but that's the reason I got full politics. So I originally got full way back when I was at university. It seems like a lifetime ago now. Uh, when I was at Korean University studying history, mm-hmm. I, I joined the Young Unionists and got involved in politics uh, then. Uh, from there, then just got involved in various campaigns and uh, elections since. And you've been on the council since 2014. What would you say has been your, your best achievement on the council? There's been, uh, to be honest, it's very hard sometimes, and we don't take stock of us as councillors, sit back and actually say, what's the best achievement we've ever had? Because there's so many issues coming at us. So it is sometimes nice to sit back and, and think about things we have achieved. Well, one of the things that I'm very passionate about was our local area and seeing the play park come to fruition. There was a lot of issues behind the scenes, and I've got to say all councillors contribute towards that. I made sure that we got the right solution to it in the end, that it's going at Royal Mill playing fields, and it was great to see that developed. Also making sure Lomafati was the first town in the council area to have its own signage. I thought that was brilliant because it meant that Lomafati was ahead of the game uh, and actually seen us put on the map. And another thing too, because I, I, I think they're brilliant, was the Christmas lights that we got done in Lomafati, because I think they are the best in the borough. Projects like that where you can see actual tangible end results are fantastic. And there's other things that internally to the council, not so important to constituents, but actually make the run of the council better and the way we do things. For example, I helped push for a finance committee to be set up, the group leaders forum, and I think it's helped add towards making sure business in council is more productive mm-hmm. and better moving. And what would you say your biggest challenge has been in the council today as well? I think the biggest challenge is the fact that you had four different council areas come into one and developing those relationships with people, for example, from Lamafari, we want to think they're active with uh, many people from the Glens, for example. So it's building up those relationships and developing relationships with not only other parties, but uh, your own colleagues who come across the whole borough. So it is, it is challenging at times uh, because everybody's fighting for their own area. and uh, It's making sure that we get the best outcome for the, the council as a whole. You briefly t- touched on it there about cooperation and kind of working with people that you weren't really, you didn't really know before. The council has a bit of a reputation for a lack of cooperation, and that was borne out in our survey that we did. How can that be improved? Well, I think one thing is having virtual meetings doesn't help build up those personal relationships. And I've got to say, the fast bulk of stuff that goes through council goes through on 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 controversial. If you sit through the meetings, you probably say there's a few things that flare up. I say ninety five percent of stuff can go through, and people have their own viewpoints on things and discussion points on them, but. Uh, the fast bulk of stuff we can agree on, we want to bring further investment to our areas, we want to further more jobs to the area, we want to bring in better prosperity to the area. So, you know, we can all agree on those general things. Yes, there's certain flare points and it's 
as I say, it goes back to building relationships and making sure you can maintain those relationships. And sometimes they're a bit fraught. At the end of the day, um, in Northern Ireland, we have very strong views on what we believe in and they're not going to change. So it's how we make sure whenever we come up to those decision points that we can do it in a manageable way. Uh, sometimes that's not achievable. I think, unfortunately, with online meetings, it's much harder to conduct uh, a meeting in a fair way sometimes and because of the technology and the lag and the issues that come with it. But I, I do miss being in the chamber and being able to have you know a discussion or a chat with my own colleagues and also other parties. And I think when we get back to the chamber, I think that will hopefully help towards building those relationships again. Politics in general and people's politics is constantly evolving and you initially started with the UUP and then shifted to the DUP. Could you tell me why initially you went for the UUP and then why you transferred over to the DUP? I was in the UUP virtually by my family background. They were always Ulster Unionists. My grandfather, um, actually my great-great-grandfather ran for council for the Ulster Unionist Party back in the 1940s in Bell Arena and we were always Ulster Unionists. Uh, the reason I changed over was I felt that the Ulster Unionist Party was no longer available for unionism. I felt the DUP was the lead voice and I also believe that unions need to be working together more and I felt you know I had to show that myself that I can work with other unions and I thought at that time uh, I, I thought it was the right move because the uh, DUP were the lead voice for unionism and we need a, a strong voice for unionism. So in 2014 you stood for the UUP and in 2019 for the DUP your vote was slightly reduced not by much but it was reduced a little bit was that a nervy time going into that 2019 election? It sort of was because one party holding three seats in a five-seater is very difficult. Uh, it's a big challenge, but uh, you know it comes down to team effort, working together and understanding. Because PR elections in particular is about transfers, it's about understanding your area and making sure that you're working together in a concise way. And I think we did it very well. And we actually put our foot up by. I think it was nearly 5%. We went up from 40% to nearly 46% in the area, which is remarkable when you think about it, that nearly half of all voters who voted in the area voted for the DUP and Lamafati DA. I think that was a remarkable achievement for us. And then speaking of Lamafati as well, you were a major driver in the Port Rush Airshow plans that came to council. Many of your constituents in Lamafati might ask what's in that proposal for their area. Would you be able to help them out with that? Well, the, the show, I think, is, from my point of view, is an event that it brings eyes to the area. It means that people will come and visit the area, uh, and it means it opens up the door that people can see other parts of the area. And I can see that, though. Like, for example, the open. Many people in Lamafati say, well, what's open got to do with Lamafati? But it means that overnight stays goes up in hotels like Rural Park. It means that suppliers get work out of it, security companies get work out of it, and the air shows the exact same. It may not be specifically Lamafati, but the ripple effect is that it helps support the local economy, it helps support local suppliers, and it also brings a positive news spin, a news story to the area. You know, you, you get a chance to actually sell the area as a positive place to come to, and Lamafati is a key part of that. And I, I always say, look, Lamafati is like the hidden gem of Northern Ireland. I mind one time speaking to Dan from the sea shed down below and him saying that Limafari is like a, a mini New Zealand because you have so many different things. You have the Bonoan Beach, which is I think the best beach on this island. You have the Benefina Mountain Range, you have the Road Park, the Old Valley Country Park, you have everything you want and then the River Road that goes the whole way through it. So we have something unique and brilliant to offer and I think that the air show, for example, having big events like that showcases our area in a very good way and it means that people who will come to the air show may think, well, we might want to visit Lamafari, and that's part of the process that we need to have signature events that will sell the area, and that's why I'm a 
a very big supporter of Stendhal, for example, because I think that is our big event along with Barry that can sell the area in a positive way and get people engaged in what we have to offer here. You're very enthusiastic about it. Does the opposition to it frustrate you? It's frustrating the fact that people can't see the positives out of it. Sometimes their language is a bit negative because I think we can create a fence which we all can share in. The problem is sometimes it comes down to trying to create uh, create a situation where it's nearly down to orange and green. And I don't think it should be like that because I think having big signature fence, uh, regional fence that attract hundreds of thousands of people and have a huge economic spend for the area, it's good for everybody. It's good for business, as I said, and good for suppliers. It's good for the hotels and B&Bs in the area. So I know talking to people in around the whole of the Causeway area, you know, having those big offence has a, a great effect on everybody, where it's a cafe to a pub to a hotel and other suppliers. I just think in particular of our readers, I think possibly the, the main issue with that could be tying it into the Queen's Jubilee. The one thing I did highlight was one of the biggest events in recent history on this island was the Queen's visit to Dublin. If anybody wants to say uh, uh, how first the Queen is, the Queen is probably one of the most respected people in the world uh, and continuously, even in the Republic of Ireland, is highly rated. And that, that's why I said, look, it's an event that people hopefully could buy into because I know whenever we had the Queen's birthday, 90th birthday, she did the visit to the area. At the time, the mayor was a nationalist and she welcomed the Queen with open arms and was a key part of that event. So I don't think it should be First, on the way, look, you don't have to be someone who's a royalist to enjoy and celebrate or to be part of that. It doesn't mean that you have to celebrate what the Royal Family stands for, but it can be a way of tying into a future, a, a larger, significant national event, which is the Jubilee, uh, and gives us an opportunity to tie in to a bigger uh, UK uh, story. And that's the reason why I, I thought it was a reasonable idea to tie it into the Jubilee because it, it ties it into a wider uh, UK event and gives us more eyes on the event, essentially. You personally have a huge interest in local history and I've noticed you sharing a lot yeah. of different books and pamphlets on, on local history. Could you tell me a bit about that and how it shapes your, your character and your politics? I am a keen local historian. I have been involved in the Rufa Historic Society now for about 10 years. I'm secretary of the Rufai Historic Society. I did history at uh, Ulster University and then I went on and did a master's uh, piece of conflict studies at the Key. So it's something that I've always been passionate about and uh, interested in. How, and how I got interested in history actually was through my granny. She was secretary at Drummacool's Primary School and then I, I attended Drummacool's Primary School and she bought me a book one time of Wilson Churchill quotes, so I'm a massive Churchill fan. And that actually got me interested and then out of that then I started reading more and more. And I, I think British and Irish history is fascinating. It's full of ironies. It's full of paradoxes. It's. I always use the example of whenever the Act of Union came about, the Orange Order, which is now seen as one of the firm supporters of the Union, was originally opposed to the Act of Union. So there's a lot of like grey areas in uh, our history, uh, and uh, sometimes it's painted as black and white, and it, it's not like that. And uh, the point was made. I made the point the other night around Hercules Mulligan that you know we we we're all complex. We're multi-layered. We all have different issues that are going on in our lives, and historical figures are exact same. No, they're complex people. They're not just one issue or other issue. They're they need to be understood as part of their time, and also we have to understand through the lens of our time and, and different values we have now compared to say in the 17th or 18th century, which is a completely different world based in the past. And that's why I love history because it's it doesn't give us all the answers, but it can inform us on the way we can deal with certain issues because I know reading through old newspaper records that issues that have come up in council in, in recent years are issues that have come up in council 100 years ago mm -hmm. or 50 years ago 
and there's a cycle to it. And one of the things is that we have we have a very short term institutional memory where it's a newspaper or a council. We're all focused on the here and now. And sometimes it's good to have that longer term perspective and actually say, look, where we've come from to where we are today is remarkable. You know, we uh, I think Northern Ireland is in a, a, a brilliant place at the moment and can go even better. But we've come through a lot. And understanding that journey can help inform decision making in the future, I think. And I, I think it's a key component of understanding how we shape our place here and now and how we can go forward. But having that understanding and understanding where we've come from is a good way of understanding where we can go because you can't change the past but you can the future is all written and we can always be informed by the past and develop future solutions to problems that we've heard you obviously set the rate last week um it was yeah slightly less controversial than last year's rate setting <laughs> yes. process you set it at 2.49 the week after that neighboring mid-ulster froze there's at zero I suppose the outworkers of that mean that in Claray rates have gone up while just down the road in Mahara they've, they've stayed where they're at. Do you still feel that the rate set is appropriate? Yeah, because it, it's difficult. All councils have to take in consideration of their own services, their own financial position. We, as, you, as you highlighted, we came for a very difficult financial position uh, 18 months ago. And as I said earlier, you know, one of the, the things I pushed for, and we, we're, we're currently in the process of getting somebody appointed for it as well, we set up a finance committee, we had working groups looking at it, we also have now agreed an interim finance director, and I think all those elements have added towards better information, better understanding of our position. But what I would say is, over the lifetime of our council, we have set the second lowest rates in Northern Ireland. We've been very, we've tried to be as prudent as we can. We're a very lean council. But uh, there's other outside uh, factors at play for us as well that, you know, and Mid-Ulster have to make their own decisions about what they do. But we were very confident of we didn't want to dip into reserves. We wanted to maintain services that all the community rely on and are vital to what the community does. Uh, especially coming out of the other end of COVID-19, I think more than ever, having them community facilities and resources will be vital in the other side of COVID-19. So we wanted to maintain them. And there was other pressures that obviously contracts being set nationally, also their contracts that we have for waste management have went up because they're controlled by market factors. So we had to absorb those costs. So we think we struck, you know, I would love to... <laughs> I would love to set it at zero, but I think we set it at, at, at as a reasonable rate as we could. I would love to have went lower, but we were confident of if we went any lower, it was going to impact on what we could do as a council and the services we could provide. So we were wanting to be careful about that and making sure that we were providing the right fit. So as we explained on that, you know, the most anybody will see an increase is by twenty pounds a year, and hopefully that is seen bared out in the fact that. Throughout the whole COVID-19, we have continued to provide a service. We've continued to lift the bins. We continue to clean the streets. We continue to maintain our areas and, and facilities. Now, I know a lot of our facilities, some facilities have been closed for periods of time, but they still need to be looked after and maintained as well. So we've tried to maintain as good a service as possible, and hopefully people will see that and reflect on that. And I know we've received a number of compliments on the work that has went on throughout COVID-19 from our staff. So... I think it should be on record that the staff have been outstanding during this period. You know, they have stepped up to the mark. They have filled in doing the food parcel centres, for example. We set up a hub for business to support business during a very difficult time. We've done a range of uh, different uh, meetings to cope with the unprecedented emergency that we faced. And I think the council really stepped up to the market council officers and I think and, and the staff. And I think it needs to be marked on that they've done an excellent job during this very difficult and challenging time and actually in the chamber it was a nearly a rare moment of unity where almost all the councillors were in agreement that 
the 2.49 rate was the, the correct way to go. No, I know we had a couple of the independents propose zero, but we would have had to find quite a lot of, you know, you're talking nearly another two million pounds would need to be found in the budget to go for a zero rate. And I just felt like it was unsustainable to take another two million pounds out of the budget. And it would have meant basically a service that would have been reduced to our repairs at the end of the day. So that's the only thing. Are those two dissenting voices, would you say that they're nearly required at times? Yeah, it's good. It's good to have that dissenting voice. Sometimes it's good to have because like politics would be boring if we all thought the same and all spoke the same and we we're all thinking the same. It, it's good sometimes having that critical voice. But one thing I I am nervous about or I, I find frustrating is the fact that sometimes that voice is not in a constructive way, being over critical, and sometimes they go down an avenue of a destructive behaviour. Uh, and I think that's unfortunate at times. And I think it's good to have independent voices there, but as long as they're being constructive and adding value to the debate and discussion, I think that's brilliant. Uh, I welcome it. But it, 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 as long as it doesn't go down a path, it's then just basically being argumentative and destructive destructive to the council for, for the sake of it. There always has been a streak of independence in Ulster. I think it's reflective of the people and the culture we come from where I always say we're kind of uh, here we, we kind of we don't take any nonsense. We're very straight talking in Ulster. You know, we don't suffer fools gladly and we like we like people to get on and do the work. So there are always like Brian Brown, for example, was elected in Lamabada. He was an independent for a good few years before that. There was a number of independents that have uh, stood in Lamabada. I know quite me rehearsing the history of it, but I know it's something that has been a streak that has been there in Ulster at certain times. Sometimes it's not as strong as uh, as at other times, but I, I think it is good to have that kind of sometimes that voice there in the room to give a different perspective and a different thought on it. So, I, I, you know, I welcome it at times, but as long as it's in a constructive way, that's the only point I would make. And then finally, just to, to finish off, have you any goals or hopes that you want to achieve the remainder of the council term? Yeah, there, there's a number of projects that we are looking at that we want to develop. The Enterprise Zone is one, uh, I know it's not my area, but it's one that I would love to see us turn around and develop into a hotbed of innovation and job creation. I think it's a massive task. I think Korean Town itself needs a huge job in terms of regeneration. Um, in terms of Lamafari, uh, the one area that I would love to see developed that I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon but Bally Kelly I'd love to see the former army Shackleton Parks transformed into uh, economic driver for the area because I think it has huge potential obviously COVID-19 has hampered that but I think there's huge potential for that area and also the you know a long-term project would obviously be the dueling between Lamafari and Korean I think that has been something that is long overdue and something that needs to be done and the bypass obviously around Bally Kelly but those those are long, long-term projects, but I'd love to see the smaller projects that finally seen Lamafai Play Park over the line come the summer. It would be fantastic. They the filmed out in Burnfoot, uh, around the sports booth, uh, change rooms and all out of Burnfoot would be fantastic. So there's a lot of wee projects that are going on, and obviously the other thing that we're looking at is the footprint of our civic buildings. So one of the things that we uh, I'd love to see before the end of this term is that we adjust the number of civic buildings we maintain which then hopefully will be passed as saving on to the ratepayer ultimately because the less buildings we need to maintain and, and own, the less cost it is then to the ratepayer and then we can invest it further in services that they want to see like play parks and public toilets and other facilities. So there's a, there's always 
there's always a never ending list of things we would like to see done, but it's always good to see those projects over the line. Like the Lumify Play Park is the one that I know all councillors Lumify have been working at and developing for the best part of four years. Ever since it was top of the list, one night when the councillors had a workshop and we were deciding what projects were top of the list, I'll be really glad to actually see that actually finished and delivered and see it actually fully developed because I think that role mill playing area has so much more to offer and can be developed into a real hub of activity for the local community, whether you're someone who wants to play football or go to the play park or maybe just do a walk or run around it. I think it could be turned into a real uh, nice development for the whole uh, borough. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, give it a share on social media or subscribe via your podcast player of choice. If you have any questions for future guests, get in touch via email on editor at dairypost.com or contact us via our social media channels.